Hey, everybody. Welcome back. On today's episode, we are discussing myths about Black women. So I thought we could talk about what we feel like are the top myths about Black women um, as we start this conversation. So Catherine, why don't you kick us off? Yeah, so we're going to take the first myth. um, And I think that probably the top myth associated with Black women is the myth of the angry Black women. Black woman. Um, So Faith, um, you can you tell us what that myth is and then why it's harmful? The myth of the angry black woman it's pretty and i think a lot of this is perpetuated in like shows and movies and um even like written work just about how black women are mad and um feisty and easily angered and usually that is associated with black women rolling their neck or snapping their fingers or just anything that that kind of is stands out if you will as being angry and I feel like it's really harmful because first of all black women are not a monolith and not all black women are alike and so it's really harmful though because it gives people this perception that black women are just angry women and that if they speak up for themselves or say something or or say maybe they don't appreciate something or don't like something in particular it's viewed as being something that is angry. And instead of, hey, I'm just expressing an opinion or, hey, I'm just saying what I'm not going to allow or what I'm not going to stand for. And I'm not making room for that and being precise about your thoughts and decisions. But when you do that, you can be viewed as being angry instead of just decisive or vocal about what you will or won't do. It also, to me, is harmful because it diminishes rightful anger yes. or righteous anger. So, like, um, Solange has a song called Mad, and it's basically, like, she's, like, people, like, it starts off with, like, someone asking Solange why she's always so mad. And it's, like, she responds with, I have a lot to be mad about. Um And so I think this idea that like, one, I think what Faith said is really important. Like oftentimes it's not anger. We're just expressing an opinion and it's being received as anger. But then I, too, I think the stereotype is harmful because it diminishes black women's rightful anger at um, injustice, whether it's sexism or racism or whatever is going on in the world. Um, I think having like a strong opinion about kids being put in cages or whatever, um, sort of the angry black woman stereotype is used to diminish black women's like maybe justified anger sometimes and I think you know going back to our conversation a few weeks ago about just being black in the workplace right and like just the daily microaggressions you often deal with in the workplace and I think you know when you stand up for yourself and you finally bring those to attention the angry black woman stereotype is used to diminish or dismiss black women's anger um, because it's like, oh, black women, they're just always so mad. They're mad about something. There's always something for them to be mad about. And so I think it's harmful, too, because it minimizes, you know, kind of righteous anger and like then kind of removes the honest on others to like correct the the in- injustices because it's just like the excuse is like, oh, y'all are always angry about something. So like this isn't really that big of a deal. You're just. Yeah. And I think a great example of this is Serena Williams. If you guys like saw that tennis match that she had um, with, I can't even think of her name right now. Uh, Naomi Austin. Naomi Osaka. Yes. And um, how there was a lot of calls that were made that were not fair. And she was rightfully angry about it. And there were so many memes and people saying that she was throwing a hissy fit, that she was just pouting, that she wasn't being a good sport. But she was angry because she was not being treated fairly. And it was really evident. But when you saw the memes that came out about her and what they were saying about her it really was another moment to see that like 
black women don't even get the room to be mad. Michelle Obama, if she was making a face and it was deemed a face that people might have thought was angry, there were so many memes and just different things about her that are kind of like, oh, see, she's just an angry black woman. And I think that, like Catherine was saying, we do have a right to be mad. There is room for us to be mad. And us being mad doesn't mean that we have to, you know, be buying in or perpetuating the myth of angry black women. But it it just it means that we are human, too. And we should be able to have that room to be mad if we want to be. Yeah. And I mean, I think the Serena Williams thing is like interesting, right? Because there's a famous male tennis player named John McEnroe, which the thing people know about this guy is that he throws tennis rackets, he screamed, he got angry, whatever. And it was considered to be endearing. He was considered like a bad boy of tennis. And yet like Serena expressing her anger at being accused of cheating, right? Is like, you know, you saw all these like memes of, you know, portraying her as like throwing a hissy fit, as Faith said, or like even some that were like, making her out to be like some sort of gorilla or some sort of monster. Um, and so I think even just the idea of like how we perceive men and women's anger, right? Like that it's okay for men to be angry, but like somehow we've been socialized to believe that women shouldn't be angry or at the very least they shouldn't show anger. Um, and I think, yeah, you see that a lot in like popular culture and portrayals. I mean, I remember, yeah, this sticks in my mind, you know, bringing up Michelle Obama, like there was a cover of a magazine, I think it was The New Yorker, um, maybe it was in 2008, 2007, when um, Barack was running for president for the first time, um, of her portrayed as very militant, like she had on a beret and like, um, like an army jacket and like whatever that bullet belt thing that people yeah. put across their shoulders is called. And this idea that she's like very militant. Meanwhile, what was in, you know, what was crazy about that portrayal is here's a woman, you know, Ivy league educated, went to Princeton, went to like Harvard law school, was a corporate lawyer, worked for like the top hospital system in Chicago. And the idea that she is somehow militant because <laughs> she's a black woman and she stands up for, you know, she spoke her mind, but even not even, even just the way Michelle Obama presents herself, there's no way I think that that felt like a fair portrayal of her. That was based on like just a stereotype of like black women as like militant and angry. And I think that it just, it feels, yeah, it's very unfair. It's very constricting. You feel like you can't speak up for yourself because it's like, oh, you're just another angry black woman. And so Yeah, I think those are really good examples of how Black women are portrayed as angry in popular culture. And what would you say is the myth of strong, like, of a strong Black woman and why is it harmful? Yeah, I would say the flip side of that is this just, like, Black women can, are strong and can endure everything. Like, you know, our children were stolen from us during slavery and we survived. Like, during the Civil Rights Movement, we were the architects, we marched, we were beaten, we were thrown in jail. Um, I think of, like, a woman, like, a personal hero of mine is Fannie Lou Hamer, right? And this idea that, like, this was the daughter of a sharecropper, she was a sharecropper herself, it was kind of a leader in the Mississippi Civil Rights Movement, Um And this idea that like she was like physically beaten and that the strong black woman is that black women to me are not women in the same way white women are and that, you know, they can endure, you know, have multiple children, work these hard jobs, take care of their families and it doesn't affect them. They're like strong, like that they're not emotionally, you know, um, fragile. And I think that that's harmful because I think for one, I will say I think it's harmful for black women because it puts so much pressure on you to never show emotion, to like just endure, right. endure, 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 um, or to put your emotion or channel your emotion in unhealthy ways, whether it's like food and 
um, like eating or, you know, buying or whatever, um, to project this image of strength as like the cornerstone of your family. And I think it just, you, um, puts pressure on you to endure things you shouldn't have to endure. Um, but I also think it's this idea that like, yeah, that black, like that we don't have feelings or that we're not soft or that, you know, all of the mothers that lost their children during slavery weren't emotionally torn up and like broken by that, you know, um, because they still had to go in the field and feel, feed the rest of their family or they still had to go to the field and work. Um, or yeah. And so it's just like this idea that like, we're not allowed again to have emotions, um, to feel soft, to feel tender. Um, I feel like it, it's harmful because it doesn't allow you to feel your full humanity. I will say like just some like personal experience, you feel like you have to have a stiff upper lip about things that like are rightfully upsetting. And like, to have a moment of just like, you know what, this is awful and it sucks and I can cry about it. And I'm not like a bad person because I'm crying about it. And also too, like, I don't have to endure other people's mistreatment of me. Um, because this idea that like, Oh, I'm somehow stronger or I can, or I'm built differently that I can endure it. And it's like, mm-hmm. I think black women have endured because they've had to endure for survival, not because it's ideal circumstances and they are like, joyfully bearing all of these (laughs) oppressive circumstances and so I just think it gives people again like a pass to not have allow black women to feel their full humanity yeah I agree with that yeah do you have like why would you say it's harmful I would say the myth of the strong black woman is harmful because it really doesn't allow black women any room to be vulnerable or to feel maybe weak at times and there's um moments where I do feel weak and I don't feel strong and it's this perception that oh look see if it's fine like she's not like falling apart she's not whatever and I'm not the personality type person to do that anyways so I think for me having the room to just be with those people who are safe for me with those people who it is okay for me to like let my guard down with them or to um, be emotionally or feel emotionally safe with them. That's super important to me. So I think that myth is um, harmful because it doesn't give us room to be, to me, like humanized as women whenever we don't feel strong. Um, And also I feel like it can be harmful because it makes people think they can kind of walk all over you and that you're just going to take it. And I think that's a big problem and it's something that happens often and because you're a strong black woman you're also supposed to acquiesce or cater to sometimes white women's emotions and feelings and put those over your own and I think that is a huge issue and it's happened often and I think it's harmful to black women in the long run. I don't want to put down my feelings or put put things that are important to me on the back burner to save face for you. And I don't think I should have to. Yeah. And I think even just like going back to this idea of like, even how it, it works in like interpersonal relationships. Like I think even like black men fall into this idea that like, Oh, like, Oh, you're a strong black woman. Like, and, and I think people sometimes mean it as a positive and it can be positive, but I also think that it's really harmful when, yeah, the assumption is that like, especially in like personal relationships that you'll just endure, you know, like going back to this idea of like Beyonce, right? Like she made a choice to stay 
with Jay-Z, but this idea that like you can just inflict whatever emotional torture you want on black women and they will just take it, um, I think is really harmful and it gives people, you know, a pass um, when, yeah, like there's no excuse for that. And I will say the other kind of the flip side of that, I think even in predominantly Christian spaces, what I see is the myth of the strong black woman used as a way to like, oh, black women aren't submissive. So they're not Mm -hmm. like desirable spouses because, you know, like they... I feel like talk back is such a like patriarchal way of thinking about this, but like, you know, express opinions or, you know, want to share like their thoughts on something. So they don't make going to be like, Oh yeah, whatever you want. Yeah. So then this idea that they don't make good wives, um, I think is harmful to black women, but I also think it's harmful to white women. Like it's very constricting in this idea that like, Oh, you're a white woman. So you're just going to like, you're just going to be so sweet and you're not going to speak back. And like, you know, I just, I, that feels oppressive to them too. Um, and so I think the, the myth is, um, yeah, I think it's just used as a way to like diminish black women in our experience but i also think it can be really diminishing to like white women and women who are not black as well um Mm -hmm. and this idea that like oh you know because you're like korean american or because you know you're you know german or whatever that you're just gonna be um so yeah you're gonna be so docile and so yeah so i just think yeah i think these you know, just to say, like, these stereotypes are very harmful to black women, but I can see how they are harmful to other types of women as well. Um, and I would just say, like, yeah, that I think I would love to see, like, black men do better about not excusing poor behavior or mistreatment of black women because this idea that, like, oh, she's my rock, she can just take it. And it's like, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> please don't. Um, okay, so the next myth we're going to discuss is the myth of, like, quote unquote, the ghetto black woman, um, or like that black women are ghetto. Um, so Faith, you know, what do you think of that myth and why do you think it's harmful? It's harmful because there is a, you know how people say, oh, she's so ghetto, blah, blah. There is a woman that society would consider ghetto in every ethnic group, okay? It is not just um, black women that you're... And when you say ghetto, people are thinking you got hoops in your ears, you're talking, um, maybe using some slang. You think of the people that they start putting on the news, which I hate. I literally, I hate this so bad. When news reporters find people from the black community, they're going to just say stuff or be entertaining, you know, kind of like how they do those people with like Hydra kids, Hydra, you know, Hydra Y, like all that stuff. Like I hate when they find those people, put them on air and continue to perpetuate these stereotypes about black people. It literally, it grinds my gears. Like, I'm like, why do they do this? Well, I know why, but it's just because that's just not, to be honest, like with the most in the whole of like, who black women are and how black women are, that's not the representation of black women. It truly, it really isn't. And so I think that it's harmful because people start saying things to you that are associated with stereotypes that really have nothing to do with who you are or what you do. I've had people say crazy stuff to me and it's like, wait a minute, you don't even know who I am as a black woman. Like you, I can tell you watch TV and you're making an assumption that what you saw is who I am. And that's just not the case. And so I think that um, it's kind of also like a perception that makes people look down on black women like, oh, she's ghetto or she doesn't have that much money or she's this, this, this like she's just, you know, she's 
well, I'm, we're about to talk about this next, but she's fast and she's this and she's that. And it's just really these negative thoughts about black women. It further, like, it further perpetuates this whole thing that black women are not docile. They're not able to really fit into certain spaces. They're angry. They're mad. They're strong. They'll take anything. And they're everything you don't want. That's kind of how society sometimes frames black women. Like, they're everything you don't want. And when you get to the ghetto part of when people talk about black women, like, oh, she's just ghetto, da-da-da, it's, ex- it's immediately a negative connotation. Immediately. Like, it's nothing positive you're thinking about a black woman when you're saying, oh, it's a ghetto black woman. And then don't say to your black friends, oh, you're not like them. You're not like that kind of woman. No, 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 no. That is just as wrong. Do not say that. Like, that's just as terrible. And it's not a compliment to me. And so I just feel like we have to do a better job of that. Because all of these things that we're saying, they're negative, And they diminish, like, the image of God in black women. All of them do. Like, they're not. there's nothing good about any of these myths. They're terrible. If anything you come away from this episode with is don't buy into these myths because they're just not accurate. Yeah, I think, oh my gosh, you had so many things I wanted to respond to that are so good. Okay, so I completely agree. I think that the thing about the ghetto black woman thing, okay, um, when people tell me I'm well-spoken for a black, like I hear, what I hear is like, you're well-spoken for a black person, but then it's like, what are you talking about? Like, you know what I mean? Because it's Mm -hmm. like, what are you trying? Like that to me is not actually a compliment to me because it's like, okay, my parents have graduate level education. I grew up in the suburbs. I went to college. I have a law degree. I would hope that I'm well-spoken. Like what was your assumption before I spoke, right? Like, like, because I'm like black that I wouldn't be well-spoken. Um, yeah. So that's like not a compliment to me at all. Like, I don't know, like, please don't tell people they're articulate. That is my number one pet peeve. Like, oh, when they're like, oh, you're so articulate. And it's like, I went to law school. Of course I'm articulate. (laughs) What? Like, what was your expectation? And I just think it's like so frustrating because it's like even this idea that like the things that people harp on about um, low income black women are things that like when Kim Kardashian or, you know, a white woman puts on like the thing about hoop earrings and like jewelry, right? Like I remember like when Sarah Jessica Parker started donning that kind of stuff on Sex in the City and there was like a mad rush on like, you know, 90s hip hop girl, like door knocker earrings. And suddenly it was so cool and so chic and you were seeing it on these all these runways. And yet when black women were doing it in their communities, it's like, oh, that's so ghetto or that's like mm-hmm. trashy or that's not it's not aspirational. And so part of me, it's like frustrated with this, this idea of this stereotype because seems like the culture runs to these communities when it comes time for like fashion or hip lingo or whatever, you know, what's the latest dance move or whatever. And then, you know, like let someone who's not black do it or put it on. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is the new hot thing. But like when black women do it or, you know, that it's like, oh, that's so ghetto or that's so hood. And I just think also too, like it frustrates me because, you know, um, that like, ghettos and housing segregation were created by government policy and so you have these highly concentrated pockets of poverty um, and these limited experiences and limited resources and then it's like we're knocking people um, and their culture and the things that they have developed to survive um, 
when really this is a, a product of like government policy and mistreatment. And I'm not right. saying that people, individuals don't have personal responsibility. They do. But when you see all of these like systems that are in place and when you see people who really are, you know, trying, they want their kids to get, get education and want their kids to move out of these neighborhoods. Right. Like how these kids are like knocked for, you know, um, just what they've learned and how they've survived and developed like resiliency in their communities. And it's just it like, it's so harmful and hurtful because you see, like, I remember in like law school, right? Like kids that had come from, you know, like, um, there's like a social capital and like a social way of moving. If you're like middle-class, right. And even if you're, um, African-American and you've grown up, you kind of know, like, this is the unspoken lingo or, or, our way of moving or operating in the space. If you didn't grow up in that space, you don't know that and you don't know it until you get in that space and realize, oh, wait, this isn't, this, things are different here. Right. And rather than being like welcoming, I can think of so many experiences of where, and I myself am like, I will say that I have probably have not been the best about this at other part in other points of my life of extending grace to people of to extending grace to other black women. Um, but just like mocking people from where they came from, I just feel like is really dehumanizing. And I think, you know, yeah. all of these things, all these stereotypes, you don't, you are diminishing the image of God in individuals. So like not every black woman who comes from a lower income background is going to be, you know, like is going to have the same experience, is going to talk the same way, is going to have the same feelings, whatever. And so really you're you're robbing yourself of the opportunity to really get to know someone and know their story and know where they're from. And I think we make such broad generalizations about people in particular. It seems like it's totally acceptable to do this to black women. And I just, yeah, I don't like, I don't like ghetto black women just because I think when you have experience or like when you go to those places and you just see just how everything is set up for people not to survive that experience and I think personally where I have landed now is just like whatever you're doing to survive, like, you know, if that involves like coming out of your house in rollers or like wearing your pajamas in the grocery store, like, and not every survival thing is like healthy, but I just like, that seems so superficial to me. Like, why are we judging people based on that? And then why are we also projecting that one experience on every black woman I've ever met? Because she knows what the word ratchet means. Like, come on. Like, yeah. it just feels like we don't get to be individuals or have experience is in the way that other people do. Um, and so I would just say like, yeah, you need to be really careful about that. And, you know, please stop calling black people articulate. Like, we don't okay we read too (laughs) exactly um okay so let's talk about when people say fast black women or you're pretty for a black girl yeah so i think these are like two sides of like the same coin or maybe they're like on different sides of the same coin is really what i mean yeah so this idea that black women are like hypersexualized, and i think it like goes back to like slavery and enslavement and how black women like white masters would just like rape their slaves is to create more slaves for economic reasons. Maybe they had some sort of feelings of affection, but honestly, if black women could not, were not free to like give consent. So I wouldn't say that they were like necessarily, they were not romantic relationships. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think of like women like, you know, and then moving into the like modern century, like 
women like Reese Taylor who was like raped and like the men, the white men that did it basically got away with it and how that was like a motivating factor um, for the civil rights women is civil rights movement. It's just part of it was like black women wanting to be treated like women and having autonomy over their own bodies um, because this idea that like, oh, you're black, a black woman. So you're like, you know, fast, quote unquote fast, like that you are um, into having sex, that you're like wild or something in some way mm-hmm. or exotic in some way. Um, and so, yeah. And I think, you know, for example, like the whole thing with R. Kelly, right? Like part of me thinks I'm convinced that the reason why he got away with raping underage girls for so long is because they were majority of them were young black women. And like yeah. people treated it as like, oh, it's okay. Um, Cause she's fast or she's like really developed for 15 year old or like this culture of like, yeah, like, oh, young black girls, it doesn't matter. Cause like, you know, they're hypersexualized anyway. And the, so she, they probably brought it on themselves and like just this idea that like, that's okay. And that like the little black girls don't get to be little black girl. Like they don't get to be girls. Like they don't have girlhood right. in the same way um, is why I think that's harmful. And I think the sort of, and on the black side is like, oh, you're pretty for a black girl. It just reminds me that like, what, I what does that even mean? Like, is it like, to me, I, what I hear is like, okay, this is the standard of beauty, which is very Eurocentric. And like, you're not Eurocentric, but I guess you look all right. I, I don't know. Um, yeah. It, you know, there was a video that went viral a couple of weeks ago of a little black girl who's getting her hair done. And she looks in the camera and she says that she's ugly. And the hairdresser like immediately like picks her up and grabs her and looks at her face and is like, you're beautiful. Like, look at your dimples and you have such a great personality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that like, Hearing that kind of thing, like you're pretty for a black girl, or like oh, she's just fast, you it mm-hmm. really makes it hard for young black girls to develop like a healthy self image when everything says you're ugly, you don't fit, um, like you know magazines or like in movies or popular culture, like you see this one image of like what's beautiful, and it's oftentimes um, not it not black women or like this is what the ideal is and this like chaste thing and it's like not black women and this idea that like um sort of portrayals of black women is like hyper sexualized and i you know and so i just think um yeah like when you see like little black girls being like you're so pretty and like beautiful and like you know reminding them that they're beautiful because god created them and like they're talented and they have something to offer to the world because i just think like the larger world does not speak that into the lives of young black girls yeah and i just just to talk to i agree with everything you're saying and oh man there's just so many things that i could talk about but there's just not enough time i would say talking about like the hypersexualization of black women um, as well as talking about the concept of oh she's just fast I think there's a few concepts here there's the concept that black women are just for consumption oh that's good um and we we want to see their bodies on um on music videos or um, we want to see them in strip clubs or whatever like we want to see like black women in this way that's just sexual and it's for me to gain pleasure solely right um and i think that um obviously like if a woman like wants to like work in a strip club all those things that's her prerogative but there is 
a um, almost an expectation that black women um, are there to be readily consumed by people for their bodies to just be um, objects and for them to be overlooked as women for who they are and what they bring to the table. And I think that's an issue. I also think that um, I don't want white people coming for me being like, oh, but what about the music videos and all this stuff with black rappers having all these women and, you know, they're scantily clad, like all this stuff. There's a lot of people, black men included, that um, need to be held accountable for the hypersexualization of black women. And um, I think that it's too often that we are looked at for our bodies and what we can give in terms of like the looks and just please me please me please me instead of for who we are as women as if we don't have a brain as if like Catherine is saying like as if um oh you you you're articulate wow like I didn't expect that so I think it kind of skews the fact that we're really brilliant women and we have a lot to bring to the table and this is not just something that um you get to just look at me and look at my body for your own satisfaction you know so Yeah, I was going to say one thing to what you were saying is like, so I've had this conversation actually even internally within with the men in my family about, you know, like I'll use the rapper Cardi B as an example, right? That she is very like a lot of her lyrics are very hypersexual and even Nicki Minaj. I think there's a lot of that in their lyrics and this idea that like how women have tried to kind of flip the script, right? Like of taking this thing that's like negative hypersexualization and sort of flip it and say from a place of empowerment like you know I'm going to talk about my body and the way that I know you're going to talk about my body as a way to like make money right and so I think there are a couple things about that one I think I have to I want to say that that is a to me a little bit of a trap of um like patriarchy I understand asserting your autonomy and I will say I admire the business acumen of like Cardi B because I think she's not and then this goes to your point right that she's not stupid right like that she is she's really not she's She's really smart she's become a millionaire she started in the strip club and now she's a millionaire she was in a Super Bowl commercial for Pepsi um and I don't know that many strippers that have had that trajectory so obviously very smart businesswoman but when you think about her like that's not what you think about people make jokes about her not being articulate or the way that she communicates or the fact that she you know talks about her body a lot and so I can see how it feels like a double-edged sword right like of where she is really really smart but could she have gotten ahead without using her body and then does it make her smart that she used her body to like then gain power and so I just think that these this idea that like oh as a woman like I'm gonna hypersexualize myself before other people do it is harmful too um and I just I'm not sure how you like escape that I think um like culturally but I also think that this idea that like um yeah don't come for us and say like oh women contribute to that (laughs) um because the idea is like okay but why do they contribute like where did those ideas come from this idea that like okay a way to get men to pay attention to you is to use your body and if I'm like poor or I'm trying to gain power in the boardroom if this is how I have to gain power, this is how I have to gain power. So like, don't come for women. (laughs) Don't come for women for being trapped in a rigged game. (laughs) Yeah, and I was going to say too, I think the same thing is happening with white women, just the setting is different, right? So you're not seeing it the way you're seeing it with black women in in culture, like you're talking about, whether it's Cardi B, music, whatever, but you, you still do see it with some women in the music industry, but you, this is happening in boardrooms. This is happening with assistants. This is happening, you know, 
you know, Monica Lewinsky. Like this, these things are happening all the time. They just frame themselves differently with white women. And so I think that it's important for us to pay attention to culture and to pay attention to the narrative that's still trying to be painted about black women. So, and I think that's the point we're trying to make. I think it's happening um, and it happens with all women, but the way that it is perceived and spoken about and looked at in the media when it comes to black women is totally different. Yeah. And it's very, it's a very negative connotation. Also, I think um, like when they say like you're pretty for a black girl, that's an even further negative connotation. Um, and that happens from all kind of men, you know, even black men who have sometimes, I think now are gaining more of an appreciation for black women um, in, in more recent times than they have before. But it's this concept that the lighter, the better, or the silkier, the hair, the better. And if your hair is quote unquote nappy and your skin is darker then you're not as worthy or you're not as pretty, which is such a harmful, harmful super harmful message that if you don't fit the bill for Eurocentric beauty standards, you're just not beautiful. Um, and if you are beautiful and accepted, it's only when you have your, you know, your thong on and your bra and then you're showing us everything and this is great too. Now you're pretty or now you're acceptable. Um, and that is a problem. And I think that this tone of hypersexualization of black women started a long time ago during enslavement um, when black women had the bodies and the figure. Think about this. Black women were looking hella good back then because they were working in the fields and working hard and i think that it's something where like wow they had a body that was desirable right and so then now they're getting raped and having children and this is this problem it perpetuates and it's still sometimes in the minds of men of looking at at black women as something to attain an item instead of a human being and i think that's what we're getting at black women shouldn't be itemized and we're not to be um we're not a commodity okay we're not something that you're just going to pay for yeah i think yeah to just yeah drill down on what you were saying i think the idea that what's different about how it is perceived with black women is this idea that we like it right like that we're asking for it um because of our bodies or because you know like you're wearing jeans and like it shows like your fuller hips or whatever and so I think this, yeah, I think that's really what we're getting at. It's this idea that, like, one, that we like it or, you know, rather than is this something, one, that's been oppressively put on us as a way to, like, get ahead. Or if it's just, like, we're minding our business trying to live our life and we're not trying to do anything, but we're perceived this way just by the fact, the nature of that we're black women and this is the way our bodies are. And I would say... yeah. Yeah. And I would say what's crazy about that, right? What you were saying is that it's like very desirable, but then at the same time, like we can't find jeans that fit us. You know what I mean? Right. It's like so frustrating because it's like, okay, which is it? Is it desirable or it's not desirable? And so, yeah. So if anyone needs ideas or tips about like where to find jeans, um, if you are fuller figured, if fuller hipped, um, let me know and I will help you because I have been through them all. (laughs) (laughs) um okay so we can we could park our car there because obviously we're each clearly really passionate about this um but we're going to keep it moving so to wrap this part up Catherine, what can the church do to affirm black women 
Um, I would say, one, I think putting black women in positions of authority, so allowing um, black women to teach you about their experiences, but not just even about their experiences. I think it would help to have like role models of seeing black women, you know, lead Sunday school or lead Bible study or write, you know, curriculum and and. Sh- really approaching us for our expertise where it exists. Um, And so, you know, if there are business owners, like supporting black women in business and their endeavors. And I think also too, like this idea of like in your examples or in your storytelling of things, like think about the women that you point to. Um, Do you talk about Fannie Lou Hamer or Harriet Tubman as um, exemplars of the Christian faith um, or are all of your examples like Corey Ten Poon and Elizabeth Elliot and like what that contributes to the women, black women who might be in your congregation or in your Sunday school or Bible study classes. And so I would say just like elevating the experiences of black women. And I think speaking to that and like recognizing that, like, you know, I think we've talked about this in other episodes, right? Like this idea of what is the ideal, like biblical woman cannot be based on 1950s middle-class white women like because of a whole host of reasons black women have to work outside of the home so if that's your ideal you're already saying like okay you don't live up to the standard because you work outside the home or um it cannot be and talking about what it means to be submissive if if you subscribe to like that view of like roles of men and women like are your examples of what it means to be submissive culturally exclusionary like this idea that like okay to ask your husband a question or to suggest to him like hey this is maybe we should do this in a different way like is that an, is that really biblical or is that just your cultural preference and so i would say just like examining like elevating black women examining the examples and stories that you're engaging do you read black women do you what are your kind of portrayals of them in popular culture um and yeah those would be my top ones and like not speaking in a way that like would it's based on stereotypes of who black women are yeah i agree with that so i'm not going to repeat i think i would just add when you are talking about these things and you're planning lessons if you're working with youth or children or women in your women's ministry when you're looking at who's in the room don't forget everyone. Don't forget to find ways to be inclusive of everyone um, when it comes to people you're suggesting as um, authors to read, when it comes to people you're inviting to speak. There's other people in the room. And when you have grown up being one of the few um, women of color or black women in a space and white women are in, you know, vast majority, especially in church spaces, prioritized to come in as speakers. To pri- their books are prioritized. It's speaking a message. And I don't think that people realize what um, how powerful that message is. But in a lot of ways, it can feel like there isn't really a place for you here. Yeah. And I think people need to be mindful of that. And a lot of black women are getting to the point to where they're being more vocal about it. But I spent years not saying much about it if anything at all. And so I got to the place to where now I do say things and I and I have my thoughts. So I just would say, look at who's in the room and make sure you're not communicating the very opposite of what you're trying to do. Even if you never opened up your mouth to say it, your actions are speaking. Yeah. And 
people are watching. Yeah. I think there's like subtext oftentimes and we focus a lot on explicit messages. And I think what we're trying to say is there are a lot of implicit messages that are being sent about who's acceptable, who's worthy, who's desirable. Um, so I'm going to read a poem by um, Lucille Clifton, who's a black African-American um, poet who is just great. And I and I would like to dedicate this to um, all of the black women who feel unseen. Um, so the poem is called, Won't You Celebrate With Me? Won't you celebrate with me what I have shaped into, a kind of life? I had no model, born in Babylon, both non-white and a woman. What did I see to be except myself? I made it up here on this bridge between starshine and clay, my one hand holding tight, my other hand come celebrate with me that every day something that has tried to kill me has failed. That's so good. That's deep. Yeah. That last line. Come celebrate with me that every day something has tried to kill me and has failed. If that's not a word from our ancestors who have survived enough and lived enough life so that we could be here. Wow. Yeah. That's so powerful. So I just want to say we see you, sis, and um, we are celebrating with you. And we hope that other people will join in in the celebration of, of black women. Yes. And you're beautiful. Okay. You are completely beautiful. Your looks, your curves, everything about you is so beautiful. And there is nobody and no man who gets to define whether you are worthy of love or not. You are worthy of love. And maybe you've felt left out, left behind, like people don't care, or maybe that'll never happen for you. But you love you, you do you, and you're worthy. Amen. Okay, y'all, it's time for Go Off Sis. Woo! Um, I'm going to jump us off here with Go Off Sis and um, say something that I'm loving and something that is a mess right now and just try to keep this as succinct as possible. Um, something that I'm loving is seeing the unity happen around the country, people rallying, people just being kind, grocery stores opening early for the elderly so they can get supplies, and just seeing that there is still some good in humanity um, happening and that sometimes at our worst, you can um, see some really good things, some silver linings, I would say. Um, the thing that is a mess, okay, okay, okay. Listen, I don't care if you come for me on this. You can come for me. People in church and pastors that are using the Bible to justify large gatherings during this pandemic. No, 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 no. I'm telling you, it just is the most baffling thing to me that at which points pastors and people try to use the Bible about obeying the laws of the land um, at their own whim. So one week we're going to be people are arguing about the Bible says blah, 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 blah. So you got to do it next week. Here we are. I don't care about the whole we can't gather with more than 250 people or more. Really, now it's 10 people. I'm going to do it anyways because I pray and I have faith. That is so irresponsible. That is so irresponsible. And people need to be held accountable for those irresponsible actions because you're putting people's lives in danger and at jeopardy. And it's selfish. Let's just be honest. Like everybody's doing their best to stay in the house. Don't use the Bible to justify getting out there and potentially harming other people through church gatherings. If you didn't read already, Patient 31, I think in South Korea, um, this is how it spread there because Patient 31 decided to go to church with a thousand people. Those thousand people thus infected 
everyone else. And now that's how it spreads so rapidly. So don't be patient 31 and don't use the Bible to justify your actions of just not staying home. Virtual church people, think out of the box, podcast, whatever you got to do. We have technology. Just don't gather a bunch of people and then just say we're going to pray about it and it's going to be fine. Yeah, I think um, wisdom and trusting the Lord are not opposite <laughs> virtues. Like this idea that like it, using wisdom and discernment that means you lack faith. Sometimes that is an expression of your faith. And I think also too, yeah, like your church can still meet in small gatherings. Like maybe you have multiple services <laughs> or like you people just meet in their home groups. Like you don't have to like stop meeting. Just don't have everybody come to one service on a Sunday. Like it's not hard. Um, okay. So my bless is, um, companies who have paid their workers during coronavirus, who've paid sick leave policies, churches that are streaming services and Bible studies. Um, and then young people that are checking on and helping their elderly neighbors. Um, yeah, I think just seeing people like pull together and be creative, you know, um, I've seen, for example, like, um, Shay Seriano, who's a popular writer and, um, blogger, it's, like has created this thing where people can help each other pay bills. Um, I know like Aaron Moon, who's with the podcast, has created a way of helping people meet financial needs um, across the country who may not know each other. And so I just like love seeing people like pull together and meet needs in ways that are creative and they're not hearing, you know, no one's telling them to do this. People are just working together. So I would say my thing is probably unity as well. Um, and then my mess is that companies that are asking workers to take unpaid leave with billionaire CEOs, I'm Virgin Atlantic Airlines, um, Whole Foods has asked people to share. It's like, Okay, how is it that you have all this money? <laughs> You're like a billionaire and you want people to take unpaid leave. Like when, especially when you have hourly workers and you know people are, are working paycheck to paycheck. It just feels really selfish that in this moment where like this is not like some sort of individualistic personal crisis that you would be so selfish to ask people to work unpaid when you know pe most people cannot afford to do that. Like most Americans can't come up with $400 in the in the case of a financial emergency or crisis. And yet somehow, you know, while you're eating bonbons on your like island, Richard Branson, you're asking your workers to work for un unpaid for who knows how long, because yes. now they're telling us this could stretch for months and months. Super and I just, I just feel like, you know, come on, you know, if, if regular people, people who don't have the money and the resources are like scrimping and going without so that they can help neighbors pay light bills, it just feels like the more sort of human loving thing to do would be to pay workers even if you have to come out of your own personal pocket like pay sickly um for people that while people are working from home or you're shuttering your business so i would say be like shay seriano and aaron moon and not richard branson <laughs> yeah be nice be kind do your part and you know we're gonna get through this but y'all it's gonna take everybody's collective action and um, just being responsible, right? Be a responsible human being and we'll, we'll make it through this. So thank you all for hanging out with us. We appreciate you. We love you guys. Definitely like our podcast. Subscribe if you love what you're listening to. Give us a review, um, especially on Apple Podcasts. It helps more people find our podcast and engage with our content. 
we do this just all of this just for you and we love um hosting this podcast and we want more people to know about it so share it with your friends and um if you want to um talk to us on instagram or twitter whatever come hang out with us yes we'll see you next time